Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Welcome to the Heat Check. I'm Wes Goldberg. With me as always, it's David Ramil. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Taking advantage of uh, this week-long moratorium, and I think I'm going to re-sign with Miami. Woo! Speaking of re-signing with Miami, we haven't had a podcast since Wade re-signed. We had a variety of travel differences, I think, and you are our man on the streets for Orlando Summer League, so we'll get to that a little bit later. We'll get to what's left of free agency in a little bit, but let's just start right there with Wade re-signing. Emotional reaction and um, subjective react, objective reaction on Wade resigning. Uh, yeah, I think it's great overall. I think you know, as you in, when the report originally broke from Barry Jackson, clearly he was getting some information from Wade's agent Henry Thomas, and it seemed like things were pretty dire. That he was really upset with the team. That maybe there was a, a breach in, in the agreement there that couldn't be repaired. So you really thought the worst of it. But as time went on. And I think you and I both came to the, that same kind of conclusion. We felt that he was going to re-sign with the team. It was just a matter of hammering out the exact numbers and the, the contract worth. But emotionally, I mean, he's doing weight. You know, you, you can't picture him in another uniform, despite people, you know, putting him in a Cavs jersey, etc. I, I really wouldn't have expected him to sign it elsewhere. And I'm just really glad that he came back to Miami. Did you go through his Q and A that he had with fans yesterday on Twitter? I saw some of it. I saw some of that. I can't remember much of it off the top of my head. Was there something that really stood out there? Well, he just, he kind of made it, I think people have a really hard time understanding the relationship between him and LeBron James. Okay. And the fact that LeBron left and people were like, and people are kind of weirded out that they're still like hanging out, still like traveling together and being riding seen on banana together, boats. riding on banana boats together as friends do. I mean, you and I have ridden on numerous banana boats on this podcast and... Um, but I think people have a hard time kind of figuring that out because he, on Twitter today, said, are you the best Heat player of all time? He said yes. And people asked him about his relationship with LeBron and he's like, are you serious? Like, it's fine. Like, you could, he can be his own separate player and also have this relationship and think that he was the greatest Heat player ever, even though LeBron James, who is arguably the best player of all time, right, played on the Heat. And I think... We agree that he's probably the best Heat player ever, you know, but it's just, I feel like people were really having a hard time with that relationship. What's your kind of takeaway on that? Because I think that that was addressed in the Q&A, but just in general, your thoughts, like, is that a weird dynamic to you? Is that something that you can grasp and compartmentalize yourself? Um, no, it's not easy for me. I think as a fan, we're all far more emotionally invested in what's going on in the court than the players themselves, which, you know, you would think on, on the surface is a pretty odd statement, but it's the reality. I think we are all much more concerned about that. We, we're kind of also bred from that Pat Riley mentality that he started here with his early defensive-minded Heat teams that when an opponent falls down, you're not supposed to be friendly with them. Um, and you're not supposed to help them up or anything like that. And, and that was, you know, we saw that with Alonzo Mourning and Patrick Ewing, who were classmates. They went to Georgetown, whatever. There was a history there, a strong friendship. And it was also, though, you have to take that in context of the time period when there was no social media. They weren't putting pictures of them on Instagram, uh, you know, from the Bahamas or anything like that, even though they would often go out to dinner in the middle of these very heated contests between the Knicks and the Heat in the middle, in the middle of the, the NBA playoffs. So it's, it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around that friendship, but I think that's always been the case. Like players from other teams have always been friendly to one another. Mm-hmm. It's just the fans 
that have a hard time thinking about it. I think you want to see blood out there. Maybe it's gladiatorial. Uh, maybe, you know, from, from the spectator's pr perspective, you want to see blood out there. You want to feel that kind of same hatred. I don't know why that's the case, but for the gladiators themselves, there's no animosity there. They recognize the business aspect of it. They're friendly with one another. Even even recently, we saw this in, in, in some league play. I know we're going to say this for later on, but, you know, there was a supposed... Uh, you know, animosity between Justice Winslow and Detroit Stanley Johnson, you know, because they're supposed to be, I guess, enemies now because one was picked ahead of the other, etc. They're, you know, laughing right there in the middle of center court. They're friends with one another. And, and he told media later on, he said, you know what, don't even start that crap. This is Winslow saying that. He didn't, he didn't want to hear any comparisons. He didn't want to hear that there's any kind of animosity there. They're friendly. They've known each other for a while. They're going to continue to be friends. And that's just the way a lot of NBA players nowadays are. I guess I just go the other way of thinking is like you spent four years and like a, a lot of stuff happened those four years, you know, that felt like a decade, right? So um, I feel like you would want to hang on to that relationship even even when LeBron leaves. I don't know, maybe I'm just weird like that, but if you spent like four years and went all through all that stuff and like just to like cut bait just because you know, he left and went to another team. I don't know. I always felt like Wade, when Wade said he understood what LeBron wanted to do, I kind of bought it. I didn't think it was BS. And I also think, you know, we look back on those finals, especially this this last one where they basically just gave up against the Spurs. They seemed just kind of like relieved when it was over. They seemed just exhausted while it was going on. And it's almost like well, that was really fun. That was great. But it's time to go home. It's time, like, it's en that was enough. Like, it, the media circus, everything, the expectations, it was just way too much for everybody involved, and it was almost, like, relieving when LeBron went to Cleveland, at least for Wade. I kind of got that sense, and now he can kind of just be his own man and go back to what he was doing before LeBron came as the lead dog, right, as the alpha dog on the team, and I thought he en he was going to relish that opportunity and enjoy it, and you could tell this season that he did enjoy doing that, enjoy taking over in the fourth quarter, you know, when he was the leading scorer in the fourth quarter in the NBA for so much of the season. And I don't know, I felt like from a selfish standpoint from Wade's end, you know, it could be both. You can maintain that relationship, you know, at a distance with LeBron and then hang out during the offseason because they clearly had gotten along and still do, and then handle your business during work hours. And I feel like, I don't know, I felt like that made sense in a relieving sort of way. I mean, I I thought it was like a, a four-year frat party. And at some point, you know, you're at a party so long, it's just like, right. you know what, I need to go home now. You know, yeah. the party was a lot of fun, but I'm I'm kind of like, I'm done. I thought, yeah. That's how I felt about those four years. And I think that applies even as you get older. You know, you've got friends from like your youth or college or whatever, and, and you kind of, maybe, you, you, you know, they come over to whatever city you're living in. You don't, you know, see them regularly or whatever. And you spend like a couple of days of like, really intense reconnecting and partying and everything else like that, trying to make up for that time that you haven't spent. But after a while, you're like, wow, I couldn't sustain this for a prolonged period of time. So I think it's better. I mean, that's a lot of friendships in general. It's like, you know, you can't sustain that for prolonged periods of time. Eventually you need your, your you know, take a step back, kind of regroup and figure yourself out as an individual. And, and for Wade, that's leading the heat. And for LeBron, that's leading Cleveland. You know, that's just the way it's worked out. But and maybe it's you know, they're healthier for it too. You don't have like those inner, you know, locker room battles between Wade and LeBron. And you don't have, you know, you don't have that right. tension of trying to accomplish the same goal. They could kind of just do their own thing, be happy for each other. And then just like, hang out and get dinner together and get a couple of drinks in the Bahamas together, do whatever they need to do. But either way, I think, you know, Wade has now signed his one-year $20 million deal. He's getting paid like LeBron. He's getting paid like Chris Bosh now. He's He got his money now. Uh, I think a lot of people outside outside of Heat Nation, so to speak, don't really understand that deal. They, like, you're, they're saying, wow, you're paying $20 million for a year for Wade? Like, what are you doing? He's not worth that. But for Heat fans and for the Heat and everything, I think that it is a personal thing. And I wrote a little bit about this on allyoucanheat.com you know, a few days before Wade resigned that it is not just a business decision. You can't just say, Wade, you haven't played in 40 games the last two years. Now you need to, like, we can't give you $20 million. It's more than that. It is personal. That, I think, was, I think more, this contract was more personal than business. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that it's what it took to to get him to stay. I mean, that's kind of the belief, right? Yeah. So uh, it's just I think a lot of fans uh, were perplexed by the whole 
I mean, there was so much going on there. You never knew exactly what was happening, whether or not it was overblown or whatnot. But I think at the end of the day, it just made sense for him to stay in Miami. And, and you're right about that kind of outsider's perspective. Nobody was quite sure what the deal is. But he, but I think people that the inside all agreed that, that Miami was the best place for him, the only place for him. That I mean, even longtime veterans, et cetera, always expected him to resign with Miami. So maybe the whole thing was just really, as far as that tension between him and Riley and everything else, was probably just overblown completely. Yeah, just agents leaking things for leverage, right? Like we talked about. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even when LeBron was a free agent, everybody thought he was going to resign Miami. I mean, I was swearing up and down. There's no way he's just he's staying in Miami. There's no way he's leaving. And you still had kind of like from the sides. People barking that he's going to Cleveland. Like Chris Sheridan was just like for a month was just like he's going to Cleveland. I swear he's going to Cleveland. He was right. That's right. And then yeah. it's just like, but with this Wade thing, you never really had anybody saying like he's going to Cleveland or he's signing in L.A. It was just like reported interest or his dad's wearing a Cavs T-shirt. Like his dad that he like doesn't really get along with apparently. Like, you know, all this. You never really had a real report, so everybody kind of felt like all along that he was going to end up in Miami. Oh, the mutual interest between him and the Lakers was a good one, though. That was a particularly good one. And, and, and looking in retrospect how L.A. has not exactly had a successful free agency period, it seems kind of laughable now, doesn't it? Yeah, what, 100%. L.A., they just, what did they do? Did uh, They signed Lou Williams. They're trying to get rid of Nick Young now, right? That's uh, supposedly... Like, okay, so you're really not gaining anything there. And then they, I, I don't even know what they're doing. Well, they actually, uh, I guess they've agreed to acquire Roy Hibbert. That's true. And David West is allegedly gone. I mean, these are the, the rivalry of yesterday. I think you mean Carlos Boozer, right? I'm sorry? You said David West is allegedly gone? Oh, I, I mean, like David, I was thinking, I'm sorry. I guess I segued in my brain. I made the transition as far as Roy Hibbert being gone and, and now David West being oh, gone. Oh, from, from the Indiana. Pacers. Now we're, okay, we'll talk about the Pacers now. Okay, fine. <laughs> did, I, did I switch gears too quickly? I wasn't sure where we were going with that one. So, well, yeah, I mean, the Pacers are no longer a real threat in the East. I mean, unless they kind of put this together. It, it feels like they're rebuilding around Paul George, which is, I think, the right decision. Yeah. But it's just, it's going to be a rebuild. It's not going to just switch this year. Although, with Monte Ellis and Rodney Stuckey re-signing, right? And I think the development of Miles Turner, I guess they see him as the future moving forward. And I guess that's what made the whole mm-hmm. uh, transition from Hibbert, you know, more amenable in the first place. I think, I guess they wanted to change their style apparently to a much more up-tempo one, which meant cutting ties with Hibbert. And, mm-hmm. and I, from what I heard, I guess uh, Larry Bird had trashed Hibbert somewhat in the postseason presser at the end of season presser, and I, and I guess David West might have been a little upset with that and kind of used that as motivation to go elsewhere. I think that might have been overstated a little bit, but ultimately he just wound up taking a lot less money to sign with San Antonio or to agree to sign with San Antonio at some point. Right, and uh, I kind of like what the Pacers are doing because they're rebuilding around Paul George, who's their best player, and I think that's the right way to go. I mean, he's so good in open space, and he's such a great two-way player that it's you kind of want them to play that smaller role where you can kind of play that LeBron 3-4 type role that he played very well in when he was healthy, you know, not last season. But um, So I almost, I kind of like the move. I don't know if trashing Hibbert and trying to dump him for anything is you're getting the best value out of that player. And you could still, I think you could still use him as a as, on that team. I know he's getting paid a lot of money, but I feel like you could just bite the bullet with that and he's a good situational defender. But banking on Miles Turner panning out after just a few summer league games, banking on um, this Monte Ellis Rodney Stuckey backcourt to be a cohesive unit and do what they need to do, I think they're a couple years away from being real contenders or in the playoffs, real threats in the playoffs. I'd have to agree with that. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I don't know that that's even a legitimate goal of theirs. I guess right. every team wants to be a contending team, but I don't think that's realistic. Certainly not in the Eastern Conference. Even. I mean, a lot of people obviously look at the West and, and the level of difficulty of trying to make it out of there, but I mean, in the Eastern Conference, Indiana doesn't seem like a viable playoff option. Although I guess maybe Monte Ellis might be good enough. I, I don't love the probably... signing. I mean, if Miles Turner could turn into a pick-and-pop like extravaganza kind of guy for them, 
it would work, but like Monte Ellison just ran pick and rolls with Tyson Chandler, pick and pops with Dirk Nowitzki in Dallas, and that was, I think we've talked about it on this podcast before, it's probably one of his better years. Oh, we were talking about it when we thought about Ellis replacing okay. Wade's, and you were a little bit lower on Ellis, and I was a little bit higher, but I liked Ella, Monte Ellis in a Miami Heat uniform where he could do all that stuff with Whiteside and Bosch, but in Indiana, I mean, who's he... Who's who? Where's the two man game there? You know, what I mean, he's not going to be doing that with Paul George a whole heck of a lot. He's not going to be maybe Miles Turner, but you're asking a rookie to be, you know, the centerpiece of your offense if you're just going to run pick and pops through him, which is not ideal. So I don't know if I love the signing for Indiana. I mean, it's certainly better than what they had, and I right. like it's great that they're trying, but I don't, th- I don't, it's he's not. I don't think he's going to play Monte Ellis. He's not going to play as well as he did in Dallas last year. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, if they can get similar production or even slightly less production, it's still an overall decent value. But I got to say about the Turner kid, from what I saw of him in person, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Chris Bosh, too. Mm-hmm. He's got the outside range. It's a legitimate outside range there. He looked good for the first few games. Again, you're right. And, you know, it's summer league. You can't take it too seriously. But it's kind of hard when you're in the moment not saying, well, this is a player who could really pan out and make a real you know, impact. Uh, once the regular season begins, but from what I saw personally, he looked like a very good, solid prospect. So I don't if, think that's and, a. I don't think that's too high praise. I mean, the guy was the eleventh pick in the draft. I mean, why not make an immediate impact? He certainly can. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree. I think. Uh, I think that's what they expected from him. I guess there were questions about him coming out of college or whatever i mean it's it's so hard to gauge a lot of these players because the the sample size is so small that they're kind of they, they can either really rise or really plummet and it all depends on the kind of effort and the fit that they have uh with whatever team winds up drafting them so it's just kind of hard to predict their their you know their range moving forward but from what i saw of his again it's just the summer league Look positive overall, so he could be a good complementary position there, a good complementary player, rather, to, to Ellis and Paul George, but we'll see what happens. Let's talk a little bit about Summer League. Um, the Miami Heat, 3-0. Yes, sir. They're playing the Clippers as we record this, so um, and it's currently halftime, so this is where we're at, but um, you're in Orlando, you've been watching the team live. Tyler Johnson. Let's we'll, we'll talk about Winslow, and we'll talk about um, some other guys that have been particularly impressive for the Heat. But let's just talk about the guys left over from last year's roster: Tyler Johnson, James Ennis, Shabazz Napier, Zorn Dragic. Your thoughts on those guys, specifically Tyler Johnson, because I've been impressed with him. Um, I think I, I don't have his stats in front of me now, but I think his production's been a little bit off in summer league, and he hasn't got. He, he I know he sat out the third game mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he was necessarily injured but I think they just wanted to give some minutes to other guys there um, so he sat out that third game but in person it's hard not to be impressed again not a particularly tall guy shorter than I am but uh, you know, certainly much more athletic he's explosive uh, I mean he had a couple of highlight type dunks that we saw from him during last year uh, and, and, and you know he's got a pretty good handle and I think they were running him a lot at point guard so I guess they were kind of testing him there with Shabazz Napier you know dealing with hernia issues for most of the summer league I guess they were kind of putting the ball in Tyler's hands seeing if he could handle it you know it was a little inconsistent there you know he, he's good hops uh, he gets past his guy he has a good burst but I guess there was still some inconsistency there as far as his overall passing is concerned. He tries a lot to make the right play, etc. And there's, you're never gonna you're never gonna fall short with him as far as effort is concerned. But he's not necessarily gonna always package it together. And so I think you know a lot. Of, I, I heard a couple of scouts talking about him that he's just a you know kind of gritty kind of player. I hate using that term because uh, it gets overused a lot. But they really that's the the term that they use when it comes to Tyler Johnson. He's an all out effort kind of guy. He's going to give you 110%, all the cliches, and you could see it in person. I mean, he, he really was that kind of player. He really beats himself up a lot when he's out there on the floor. Like, he doesn't want to make any mistakes, but he winds up making them, maybe because he's just a little too – he's playing at a little too fast of speed, maybe. I, it's kind of hard to gauge exactly where he winds up, but I'd say he's improved from where he was last season, and I'd say he has a continued fit there, but at this point, he's not ready for more minutes, I think, than what he got last year with Miami. I agree, and I think a lot of people have been wondering if he can 
now that he's kind of running the point, if he can replace Chalmers. I that's not gonna happen. I don't. He is not better than Chalmers. There's no question about it. And I'm very high on Tyler Johnson. I loved it when they signed him. I, yeah. I'm a big fan of Tyler Johnson. But this is a guy that should be playing about seven to eight minutes a game, realistically, on average, you know. Yeah. And it's going to be yeah. seven or eight gritty, high-energy right. minutes. And he does a good job running the pick and roll. He does a good job handling the ball, like you said. He can do a few things. He can come in and keep the pace going, which is very important, which is something I know Shabazz Napier had an issue with um, his rookie year to keep that pace up. And he can also play some two guard. You know, he can make some open shots. So I think he's somewhere on the bottom of Miami's roster, but some, but certainly playable. He might be like the 12th or 13th guy, you know, 11, 12, 13. But he's got a, I think he, he is more than capable of having a spot and getting those same minutes. I like him a lot, and I was very impressed with. He didn't. He didn't get worse, and it seemed like he got a little bit smoother in in his handles and running the offense. I, I'd agree with that too. I, you're, but you're absolutely spot on as far as Chalmers being better. And for all that Chalmers is maligned by the Heat fan base, I mean, you you, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And I think right. he's still a very valuable backup point guard and also a good backup at the shooting guard position, which is, you know, he's clearly better than Tyler Johnson at this point. Let's talk. What about James Ennis? He's kind of doing, he kind of found himself towards the end of last year as a, maybe not scoring as much as we maybe expected him, but getting a lot more rebounds and getting kind of, again, gritty, kind of in the paint, doing some tough work. I think he kind of found himself doing that kind of stuff late last season and that's what I'm picking up in the in summer league now. He's gonna get rebounds. He's gonna score some tough points. You know, he's gonna hustle. He's gonna do all those kind of things. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I think uh, with the addition of Winslow, who's clearly getting most of the shot attempts, I think Ennis his role is is somewhat diminished than you'd expect it to be, considering his experience at the pro level and and, and at summer league and, and past summer leagues. Um, but he's trying to do whatever he can. He also set out a game along with Johnson, so. Um, you know, you, the sample size is kind of small, but you're absolutely right. He's doing what he can. He's hustling. He's a lot more shots from the perimeter, that kind of thing, and, and trying to help out as much as he can on defense. Um, real skinny guy, too. Real mm. skinny guy. I, 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 you would have hoped that he could bulk up a little bit so he could, you know, um, be a better defender and stay with larger threes and fours as he plays more minutes in the league. Um but I don't know. I think he's kind of plateaued a little bit. I don't know if he's going to continue to get better. I think if, if you expect him to carve out a role mostly on the defensive end because you're going to get – his scoring isn't going to change. He's going to continue to hit some shots from the outside. He's always going to be a high flyer, et cetera. But he needs to improve his defense. If he wants to you know, shape that part of his identity a little bit better – He's going to need to bulk up some, but I just don't think he's taken that next step just yet. So I, he's the kind of guy that you could probably see him lose a, a spot on the roster. I don't know if it's a, he's guaranteed for next season or not. So well, let's talk know. about that in a little bit later. But okay. we'll keep – I agree with you. I 100%. He's got the physique, he, and he's got some of the skills that make him a potential 3 and D guy. Yeah. His handles have not gotten better. And no, that's not – at this point, it's just not going to happen. I mean – the coaching staff now with Winslow on board and everything like that, they are not going to have the time to invest in this guy. And that's just, they just don't, you don't really have the resources and they don't need to. So I don't, and you know, he, he keeps saying he's working on it, but it's been two years, three years really, because he was working on it in Perth, apparently. I just, it just feels like that's not a skill that's going to come for him. And... So you think, okay, well, he needs to take more shots. He needs to be a more consistent shooter. He needs to be a good perimeter defender. And I think he can make shots at a decent rate, but not at a high rate. And he can, and he's not a great defender. And so now you're wondering, okay, is this kind of just a gritty guy? Is it, and now we're, is he just one of these guys that are just going to kind of glue some things together, get a few offensive rebounds and putbacks? And now we're talking about Tyler Johnson, who doesn't really do anything particularly great, but is he's fast, but you know he's he's gritty. Ennis, who we just described as gritty, and then of course Udonis Haslam, who is the gritty grit man of the gritness. So that's three gritty guys on one roster. I don't know if you necessarily have room for three gritty bench guys on one team. 
No, they need much more clearly defined roles. Right. And, uh, and that's not going to happen at this point. So, not, not with a team evolving the way it has over the last you know couple of weeks of free agency, the draft, etc. So, who else were you curious about? I forgot now. Off the well, top of my head. Napier's playing now um, yes. as we record this. So, he has a lot to prove. Recent rumors, Zach Lowe just wrote in his Grantland piece that the Heat have put out feelers about him. And I know we've talked about this before. I think that Napier is a prime candidate to get traded because if he's the Heat don't need him to get better. You know, they have Goran Dragic now. Chalmers is still on the roster. Tyler Johnson is better than Napier at this point. And I just, I don't know if it's worth keeping him around. I mean, he struggled his rookie year. You know, he's he's only making $1.3 million this year. He doesn't make a lot of money. But, you know, if you want to get the most value out of the 24th pick in the draft last year, it might, you might, that might be by trading him. That might be the best way to get the value out of him right now. Yeah. I'd say Napier, to your point about his comparison with Johnson, I'd, I'd say Napier probably has a higher upside. Okay, I agree with that. Okay, I, I think just because of his his ball handling is superb. I think his his playmaking ability, if he were if he ever pits it together, um, he's the kind of guy who could be a pretty quality point guard as a veteran. But at this point, it's it's just not happening for him, and he's not as intense. He doesn't give the kind of effort on the defensive end that you'd like to see from a guy like that. So. Mm-hmm. If you have to give a spot to either him or Tyler Johnson, I'd have to agree with you that Johnson gets it over Napier. So you're right that maybe he's a prime candidate to be moved because the book is still out on him. You don't know necessarily if there's you know if he's going to make that leap or if he's going to reach that full potential at some point soon. And so maybe you can potentially get something for him now that and, you didn't expect to. And it might not be a matter of you know cap relief if, as everything seems to be revolved around with the Heat lately is cap relief, right. but. Um, it might just be a matter of moving him along in order to get one of these guys back on the roster, um, making room for Tyler Johnson or James Ennis or or you know Josh Richardson, who we'll talk about in a second, or Zorn Dragic or any of these other guys that they might feel might be more ready to contribute now. And if you're another team that maybe was high on Napier coming out in the draft, and the Heat are just kind of giving them up, and they say, well, we'll give them to you for a second-round pick, that's kind of worth a flyer for another team. You know, it didn't work out with Miami. We were high on him during this whole draft process. Let's see what he can do here, and all we have to do is give up a second-round pick. And I feel like that's the kind of move that, you know, they're not going to get anything of real value in return for Napier other than a, a roster opening. And that might be enough at this point. I know yes. They've been linked to a number of players, and, and maybe one of them is more... As far as clearly defined, as far as his role is concerned, it can contribute right away because this is a guy like Napier who still needs he still needs time to grow and put it all together. Yeah, maybe like a Marcus Thornton type who you know you can just bring in and he'll make a few shots for you. I'm not gonna mention any other names because I think we're holding off on that till later on in the yeah. show. So, other the last guy I want to talk about quickly was Zoran Dragic. I know you were particularly right. impressed with him. Yeah, I, I, I'd say that. He was very impressive. I think, you know, some of the early highlight videos from him in Europe were kind of, I remember writing about those with All You Can Eat when when he was still being considered as a a potential option. I think he was a a free agent who was thinking of coming into the league a couple seasons ago and, and nobody knew what his potential was or what he could possibly do. And you saw some of the highlight film in, in, uh, in Europe and you thought, well, this is a guy who can play at the NBA level. And, and I was impressed. I think he's, he's a hustle kind of guy. Um, he's willing to do it all. Um, I think, uh, He's faster than I would have expected him to be. His handle is clearly not as good as his brother. He's got a good outside shooting stroke, um, and he's a he's a good gel guy. I, I really like the way he interacted with teammates and, and vice versa. He was he was impressive to me anyway. I really I really liked what I saw there. Um, I, I think his outside shooting would need to be just much more consistent and phenomenal again for him to clearly define a role on that team. But for now. Maybe he's another taller version of Tyler Johnson, not as explosive, obviously, but again, another kind of guy who who hustles and, um, and is willing to defend and, and, and you know is uh, can keep a man, an opponent, kind of earnest at least when he has the ball. So you know, there's there's room for him in the NBA. Uh, I'd like to see him kind of stick around and, and hopefully uh, continue to reach that potential. My concern with Zorn is obviously that Goran's going to demand that he stays on the team, right? And if he doesn't. If he plateaus or doesn't really progress or there's somebody that comes available, you wonder if 
that's going to be kind of become an albatross on the roster. And I don't know that Pat Riley would necessarily cave to Goran, especially now that he's re-signed. But you don't want that to become an issue either. Not yet. He hasn't re-signed yet. Correct. We're in the that period. Yeah, it's moratorium period. So, um, I don't. I guess more like thinking long view ahead. If it's trade deadline, they need to clear a roster spot or something, and they could get rid of Zorn, and that's just the guy that they they can get rid of. I don't know. I, I, I worry that they're really working with a 14-man roster as opposed to 15. I don't know. That's my concern. Because if no, you trade it's, Zorn, it's, then you you worry about your star point guard now getting upset that his brother just got traded away. That's a legitimate one. Um, I didn't ask anybody, nor did I hear anybody talking about it necessarily. Maybe it's a foregone conclusion amongst beat writers that might have more of an inside scoop or whatever. Um, but I'll, I'll see if I can ask somebody about that because it's, a, it's a, something we're talking about as far as how the, the team might potentially view his role uh, on the roster going forward. But and he's, if he's good to. enough to be a top 15 guy, there's not a problem with it. But if he plateaus and he's not developing and they need that spot and it's just be, it would be more worthwhile to put somebody else in that spot, then you start worrying about it. But um, I'm glad you're... you're happy with what you've seen from him and I think there's still a lot for him to prove and show and I think he can certainly do something but I don't know if he's necessarily ever going to be a key rotation player so I'm noticing a lot with these guys that are kind of on the periphery or, or towards the, the let's say the second part of the roster maybe spots 10 through 15 or whatever they don't necessarily excel in anything right it's always like they can do a little bit of everything okay and that's that's not what you want, right? You want guys that have clearly defined roles that are, you know, three D guys that have length to them, that can, you know, do a lot of things pretty well, or at least one thing really well. And that's right. not what you're seeing from from these these guys at the end of the roster. They're they're good enough, but I wonder if that's going to be a limitation for this roster moving forward. Right. It's we don't really have the James Jones, right? James Jones barely right. ever played, but if they ever needed a three point shooter, they'd bring him in, or a guy that can make free throws, they'd bring him in. So you're right. That's that's. And that is a concern because you wonder it's after those top eight or nine guys, who do you go to after that? And in what in what you know situation do you bring this guy or that guy? Because Spolster always talked about his bench as more of a bullpen than than a hierarchy. And you wonder is it really like that at this point, or is it more like these are our two reserves that will play in spot minutes, and the other guys aren't playing as well as those two guys, and that's about it. Yeah, I just. So, yeah, I think that is a legitimate concern. Um, last guy I want to talk about before we get to our Twitter questions. Um, Josh Richardson, second-round pick, who kind of gets forgotten about because Justice Winslow got all the headlines. But he's played really well in the Summer League. I've been very impressed with him. He's very, very active on the perimeter wing. He gets his hands in passing lanes. He's disruptive. I think, I think he's got a spot on this roster. It's, it's tough to, to tell exactly with him because, again, talking as you and I did before the show, you know, some of the, the guys covering the Heat were marveling at the fact that, you know, he's, he's got a jersey that's being sold by the, 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 you know, the team store. Um, despite the fact he's a second-round pick, that's not something that they usually do. Um, there's a lot of hype about this player, and I think, you know, like you and I talked – He's he was kind of high on Pat Riley's draft board, so maybe that's what that's all about. But there's still some issue again with him as to how he fits. He's not particularly tall. He's not going to stand out as a shooting guard. He can guard some small forwards, but I don't know if that's going to be something that he would have a problem with. You know, it's 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 tough to judge based on his performance in summer league because he's going against guys that are not mm-hmm. necessarily upper level type talent. So I don't know how he's going to be able to guard like the best small forwards. You know, can he stay with a guy like? You know, Kyle Korver, who's you know, running constantly off screens, etc. That's that's kind of be the, the question for him moving forward. Um, and they're trying to run him some at point, and I'd say he's got a limited handle. I think he got some minutes at the point guard position when yeah. he was in college, and I know that he fits well as far as that Pat Riley type mold that he played a lot in college, etc. So he's a, an older player, but I'm not sure if if again I'm not sure if he's a guy who has a clearly defined role moving forward. Um, I don't know. I kind of if he's a if he's a defensive if if he can progress develop into a defensive stopper, then that's a defined role. At the point guard position, I think he would play. I think he could be like a uh, just guard shooting guards or point guards. He'd just be a perimeter a perimeter stopper. I don't know if he would. I mean, I think if you're 
to get a taller forward, that's not going to be a good matchup for him. Yeah, I think he could guard guards. He could guard point guard or shooting guard. But then how do you fit him in behind, you know, Tyler Johnson, right. behind, you know, Mario Chalmers? You have to unload Napier at that point just to even consider Josh Richardson moving forward. So I mean, he's listed at six foot six. How tall would you say he is? Not close to six foot six. I'd say a couple inches shy of that. Okay, well, six four is still a decent size. I mean, that's about what Tony Allen is, and that's what that's the comparison we keep hearing with him. And I'm not willing to go that far, but if he could be like a Tony Allen who just, you know, hits shots maybe at, at a subpar rate, but is just so good on defense and so disruptive and can just, you know, create turnovers and things like that, there's a role for him. And there's still room for him to develop. He does have some experience running the point, so he does have experience handling the ball. As you mentioned, it does need improvement. But... Overall, I think, you know, when you look at Tyler Johnson, James Ennis, all these guys that we've kind of been talking about in the churn zone there, he's kind of the one guy that really stands out as a defensive guy. So you almost wonder if, if guys like Shabazz Napier does get traded, is that to make room, you know, for this year's second round pick? Yeah, I'd say that's that's the case, right? I mean, they've got a lot of questions to answer still. Mm-hmm. So. There's a, I think there's like probably 17 or 18 guys that can that have a legitimate chance to make the 15-man rotation. There's a few of the guys on the bubble. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about one of the most popular names being discussed recently. Well, let's talk about it. We'll get to our Twitter questions. So um, let's go with that one first. This is from Ross Gottschalk, who's a writer at allyoucaneat.com. Can the Heat keep Willie Reed... Is that a good idea? Should he stick? And should they go with Willie, Willie Reed over maybe another veteran like Amari Stoudemire who, has, who reportedly has a meeting with the Heat Thursday and is strongly considering signing here? So your thoughts on Willie Reed in person. Let's start there. Looked really good. I think he was he's clearly an energy kind of guy. Gets his hand on a lot of rebounds. Um, He's long, he's lanky, size is a premium there at Summer League from what I've noticed. There are not a lot of guys that are like really towering, except maybe Frank Kaminsky, he's the tallest guy there by far, and uh, I think a lot of other guys, maybe if you got if you got other guys of similar height, they're kind of stiffs maybe, they're not necessarily the kind of overall uh, skilled players that you'd want, but uh, a guy like Willie Reed, a lot of energy, um, can do a lot, he can sky, he can score, but I think from what I saw from other, some of the beat reporters that knew him fairly well, I guess he tries to do a little bit too much. He doesn't have a great handle. His low post game is kind of lacking. But, you know, supposedly he's trying to emulate his path to the NBA after his son Whiteside, who, you know, they were on the same team together last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, he sees a lot of that same kind of growth pattern for himself that he saw in Hassan. So that's clearly a good model to pattern yourself after. They were both cut by the Kings. They both played overseas in the Middle East. They both were on the Iowa Energy. They both averaged double-doubles for the Iowa Energy. And now he's on Miami's Summer League team trying to make the Heat roster. Yeah, That's the similarities. Yeah. (laughs) After that, I think Whiteside's clearly bigger, stronger, Mm -hmm. better hands. Uh, I I didn't like... I mean, there were some moments there where where he kind of bobbled the ball on rebounds. Um, I don't think he's he's got the same kind of uh, magnetic grip on the ball. That, that Whiteside has that you and I have talked about on a number of occasions. So I think that's something to be a, a concern there. You're going to get flashes of greatness from him, but then he's going to be inconsistent in other moments. And, you know, I think that's just part of the, the overall scouting report on Willie Reed. I think a lot of guys have liked what they've seen from him in summer league play, but I guess there's just always going to be that lingering question as to whether or not he can bring it to the next level. I mean, guys are certainly smaller in summer league, so he's got an inherent advantage there. There's a lot of excitement around Willie Reed. I'm not buying it right now. I'm still open to it, but I just don't see him impacting the defensive end. And it's fun that when he does like the the reverse slam dunks and the putbacks and things like that, or you know, gets a great offensive rebound or something like that. That stuff's fun and great and everything. But if he can't make a real impact on defense, he's not making the Heat roster. Whether or not you like it or I like it, that's a fact, and we know it. So. And you look at who the Heat have, Chris Anderson and Udonis Haslam backing up with Son Whiteside. 
they're, they're not necessarily, they don't need a backup center. They don't need to take a chance. And that's why we even have Whiteside in this conversation or it exists in the NBA right now is because the Heat had to take a chance on somebody. The Heat aren't in that position right now. And they don't need to take a chance on a guy like Willie Reed. That is the biggest difference between Willie Reed making the Heat and Hassan Whiteside making the Heat. Um, I don't think he sticks to the roster. I think he's a guy that is ends up maybe in the Sioux Falls Sky Force or... Um, you know, another D League team or something like that, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he ends up making this roster. Even if Chris Anderson is moved and his contract's no longer on the books, I think they definitely go with a guy like Amari Stoudemire before they go with a younger guy with potential, maybe like Willie Reed. I agree there. I think uh, I think Reed does have a place in the NBA, maybe even this upcoming season. I think he could probably be like the fourteenth, fifteenth guy on a roster somewhere. Yes. Uh, maybe a, a lower level team um, that could probably use that kind of boost and, and see him continue to develop and grow. Um, a lot of good things from him, and, and you're right though. I think if if you have a choice, Pat Riley being the kind of person that he is, the team that he likes to create, and maybe that's a detriment. We have to we have to look at that. Um, you, if you'd rather keep an older guy like Anderson, who you know you're going to be able to get some defensive effort from, but clearly an improvement over Willie Reed, even at this advanced stage in his career. I think he keeps a guy like Anderson. And if he wants somebody who's a scoring big off the bench, he'd probably still go with a Stoudemire, who's still a very capable scorer on the offensive end. I like Stoudemire. Let's just talk about that really fast, because I don't think we will get to it if we don't talk about it now. Um, I think trading Stoudemire, or trading Anderson and signing Stoudemire, that would save the Heat somewhere around $3 million if Stoudemire signs for somewhere near the veterans minimum or like partial part of the um MLE. the MLE or something like that. So something around two million dollars, Anderson's making five. That is a substantial enough, I think, um savings for the Heat to do it because if you consider everything that could just gets basically doubled after um the luxury tax, that's something. Um I like Andrew, I like uh, Stoudemire's post game. I think he he had a bounce back year after he got traded with the Mavericks or to the Mavericks. He averaged twenty three and a half points and eight rebounds per thirty six minutes, and that was his highest of those averages since his first season in New York. So he had a bit of a bounce back year. He got out of New York in that situation. He's a a little bit better on defense now that he's kind of tapered off down on offense. I think he's found a little bit more of a balance. I think he would be a very solid, you know, big coming off the bench. And if if you trade Anderson and you have Stoudemire as your backup center, you're basically looking at a top three man big rotation. You have Bosch, Whiteside, and Nick Roberts. And you start Bosch and Whiteside. Whiteside comes out. You move Bosch over to center and Nick Roberts at power forward. And now you're playing a little bit of small ball. And I think that's the best case scenario for the Heat. And that would be... That would be, I think, a very good situation to even have an Amaris Stoudemire can come off the bench. The problem is when Hassan Whiteside gets into foul trouble, you kind of need a little bit more depth and maybe some more defensive oomph than maybe Stoudemire can provide. Yeah. You know, Haslam's there for spot minutes, but you really wonder what he can contribute next season. That's my only concern with it. I actually asked uh, Rami Mikhail from the Smoking Cuban, okay. the fan side of Dallas Mavericks team. I asked him... Um, you know, what he thought about Stoudemire overall. And he said he's still a good scorer. He can still bully bigs down low. Um, he's better as a one-on-one defender, but overall you're going to have some problems with him on defense. He gives a lot of – he tries on uh, as far as you know, defensively. He gives some effort, but it's not great overall. Uh, his rebounding is also an issue. Um, but he's best used as a center. And he, he also said that he's uh, – if you add an athletic power forward to him to kind of make up for his defensive weaknesses, then he's not as bad, I guess, okay. to, to kind of mask them overall. So that's oh, – oh, he also added, this is important, that he still has that fire and passion to win. Ooh, that sounds, so, that sounds promising. It does, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of hard to see. 
if he's a clear upgrade over Anderson. Or you, it's kind of like the opposite. I don't think he is. I think he's right? just a, he's a he's he's very different, right? Anderson's a defensive specialist. Amari is an offensive specialist. You know, quote unquote. I mean, they're in the twilight of their careers, but. Let's not pretend. Let's like let's not pretend that Anderson like really tapered off on the defensive end last year. I mean, he was not good for large stretches, and that's a lot because of his age and you know his wear and tear. He just can't get to spots like he used to. Um, he when he signed that contract, it was a two-year, ten million dollar contract, correct? Last year, so it we kind of knew that that was going to look bad this year. Like we knew that Anderson wasn't going to be worth 5 million this upcoming season, but we also understood that the heat kind of had to bring him back after the whole LeBron left and just try to keep together whatever kind of group you can. They offered him 2 years 10 million. But that's not he's not worth 5 million now and I think that's really what the trade-off is is you kind of let him go, you sign a guy that's probably more to his value because right now if you think about what the heat are doing it's a little dangerous, and you know we've talked about Wade getting twenty million and how it was more of a personal, you know, kind of than a business type of contract. But we are overpaying for Wade, correct? Yeah. Okay, so we're overpaying for Chris Bosh to a certain extent, I think. Um, but that was also necessary because we had to resign him when LeBron left. Goran Dragic, he's right, like seventeen and a half, eighteen million. That's a lot of money. Um, you know, we we assume he's worth it, but that's a lot of money. I, I heard, sorry to interrupt there, but I heard that he was his contract was actually closer to eighty six million than the ninety that had originally been reported. Right, so it's going to be somewhere between seventeen and 80, 18 million, right? Okay, that's how the math like, breaks down. I think. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, just over seventeen million a year. Right, so that's a lot of money put into those those three guys, and then you're assuming that they're going to have to give something close to the max for Hassan Whiteside next season. So, they're overpaying for about three players right now. And if you're also overpaying for a guy like Chris Anderson and Udonis Haslam and Luol Dang, who's making $10 million a year, and that's a, that's a big overpay as well. You know, you're overpaying for most of this roster. You need to find deals where you can, and certainly Justice Winslow helps that. But, you know, if you can kind of get rid of an overpaid Chris Anderson and replace him with a more aptly paid Amari Stoudemire, there is value to that move. And I think that's basically what's being played right now. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Riley wants to meet with him and has brought him in, and you know him being the kind of the closer that he is, etc., whether it's a warranted reputation at this point or not, um, it seems like he clearly fits into what team they're trying to build. So maybe he's a domino and one of many moves to fall over the next few days, but mm-hmm. um, I think clearly the Heat want him, and chances are he'll probably get his man. That's the way Riley operates, so uh, I could say that they probably want Stoudemire here. Now, whether or not they look at him as being just a piece of the puzzle, that's the question that remains to be seen, but I think it's something to look forward to. Amari, Amari signing also doesn't necessarily mean that Anderson's leaving. I think we should clarify that. Doesn't it, though? I mean... I don't it know. If it, you know. It's not a foregone conclusion, but it kind of has to be, right? I, I mean, think I would say ninety percent it's true, but we never know. I mean, it's not been reported. We don't know. I think that's the idea. But you're, you're not, you're not, you're not moving McRoberts to bring in a guy like Stoudemire off the bench. That's true. So, all right, let's keep moving on. Um, final question from. Oh, I think we have two more questions, but. Um, Umberto underscore Bow on Twitter asks, great, is Winslow a better fit on shooting guard or small forward? So is Justice Winslow better at the two or the three? I think there's two different questions in here. I think, personally, does Justice Winslow play the shooting guard or small forward position better is one question, and does he fit in with the heat at shooting guard or small forward is another question. And I'll answer it this way, and I'm curious to see what you think, David, but I think Winslow's better at shooting guard, but he fits in better at small forward for the Heat. I agree 100%. Okay. I think he handles the ball well, right? At Orlando Summer League, he's he's bringing the ball up a few times. He is, you know, delivering, you know, passes to the paint to Willie Reed. I think they ran a lot of those. 
He's got, you know, so he, he definitely has experience with entry passes to Jill Okafor. Now with Willie Reed, he's going to have a chance to do that with us on white side. I think he can handle the ball. I don't, there's no doubt about that. He gets into the paint well. He keeps his head up. He's got good vision. He's a playmaker. He has that innate ability that stars have to, like, suck the defenses in and kick the ball out. He just gets the attention of defenses. And I think all that's great. That's more of a shooting guard kind of thing. But where he's realistically going to get the most minutes, and probably where the Heat need him most, if you think about the weak links on the roster, is small forward. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I, I know his size might be a little bit of a concern for those bigger type forwards, but I think he can hold his own for the most part. Um, re, he's really explosive. That's the thing I think that I, I've seen a lot from him. His first step is great. And I think that's usually enough, again, against lower-tier competition. But he gets by his his defender really easily. Even a guy like Mm -hmm. Stanley Johnson, who's known for his defense and for his strength, etc., he got by him uh, very easily um, and got to the line a whole hell of a lot severally. I think he's probably shot more free throws than any other player in in, in Summerlee because he he has a knack for getting to the line, so that's something to consider. Um, But you're absolutely right. See him probably long-term as a better two-guard, but... But for now, it's more it's, it's small forward. And that's okay. I mean, Wade played point guard his first year. He that's did. just where they needed him. And, you know, I, I like when I see the comparisons between him and Wade a lot. Like, it's fairly obvious. But um, I wonder if, can you play him and Wade together? Is that going to be a spacing issue? Any, is it going to be a spacing issue any more than playing Dang and Wade together, I guess? Um, I'd say Deng's probably a lot better of a perimeter shooter, That's even though think. he doesn't want to be. Right. So I think Winslow will get more. There's been a, a little bit of an issue with his shooting, his shooting percentages. He's going to get more open shots in the NBA, but I also wonder if he's going to have as much as an opportunity to handle the ball and put it on the floor in the NBA. And I hope that the Heat allow him to do that. And that's why he might be a better fit, you know, as a backup shooting guard or backup small forward coming off the bench and maybe leading these bench units a little bit more, as opposed to playing and sliding into that starting unit, even though there are... And and you wonder, is he going to be better than the wall Dang this year? And I think that's a realistic... Like, Dang wasn't great last year. So, you know, that that's a, that's a realistic um, scenario where he, end up, he ends up getting the start over Dang. So I do think, though, for him, it would be best coming off the bench so he can kind of have a little bit more freedom. That's a tough one. I really, I'm really not sure. Because um, I did write about it. And I know you and I have talked about that, about maybe him starting and kind of bringing Dang off the bench as sort of the uh, Andre Iguodala route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, it sounds nice. It sounds like a, a nice, pleasant option. But, I mean, it's tough to see if Dang is going to kind of be the impactful scorer as, a, as part of the second unit that we want him to be. Not that Iguodala necessarily played that role either, but there were other guys there who could take up the slack scoring-wise, and I just don't know if Miami has that. Maybe with a guy like Stoudemire, that kind of fits also because he's going to be a, a predominant scorer. But then he, you know, he takes up a lot of the he, take, he, he clogs the lane a lot, which is what Dang wants to do as far as being a more cutter slasher, etc. So it's it's hard to see. I actually see that Winslow playing that Iguodala role more so than Dang. And I like the idea, like, I was all on board with Dang playing that Iggy role coming off the bench if, if the Heat were to acquire a, a floor spacer. But yeah. since they didn't really acquire that floor spacer... Not yet, anyway. Not yet, anyway. Um, I think Dang does more things off the ball. And Winslow is, a very, is I think, doing more of the, that taking the ball into the lane and kicking out things that Iguodala does really well. He does that more so than Dang does that. I, I noticed a lot, and I don't know if you've seen the same thing. Winslow kind of tends to be very passive when he doesn't have the ball, or when he's not locked in as far as a defender is concerned. Either you know, like mm-hmm. like he's just kind of waiting around for something to happen mm-hmm. offensively. He's not necessarily the same kind of cutter, moving without the ball that you'd want for somebody like him with his kind of skill set. And I wonder if that's a knock on him, you know, that we saw in college and a lot of scouts maybe overlooked or something like that, considering his his production. But I noticed that a lot, like, if the ball's not in his hands, he's not. He's kind of, like, drifting towards the side there and not fully engaged on offense. And that's kind of, it's a bad look for somebody like him who's clearly so talented 
and has the ability, but it was just something that I noticed there, and I was wondering if you noticed it as well. I have, and I kind of chalked it up to, to it being Summer League. I don't know that's if that's... What I, that's what I hear, you know, but yeah. it's, 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 it's disturbing to see it anyway. You kind of want him to be engaged 100% all the time, but, you know, some people have said, ah, don't take it too seriously, it's just Summer League, but at the same time, being the kind of pick that he is, with the expectations, whether they're warranted or not, you know, a lot of people want to see some greatness out of him, and just to see that kind of lack of interest, it kind of seemed like he was being indifferent or whatever. He also seems like he's a real smart, he's great in interviews, real, real well-spoken. Mm-hmm. Maybe he gets kind of stuck in his head a little bit. Maybe he's a little too cerebral. I mean, again, the, the ability I kind of is took there. It, I think you're in person, so you probably have a better idea, but I took it watching on television that he was just trying to be a part of the team and get and like allow everybody to get his touches. He was almost being more of a point guard, kind of like giving the ball because I would notice it particularly when he would have the ball and then give it up and then he would kind of just float around a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I thought that maybe he was just trying to get other guys their touches. That was my takeaway, but you I know, could be wrong. I, on that's that. possible, but I saw him kind of doing the Dion Waiters, like you know, hey, feed me the ball oh, when okay. he's on the perimeter and stuff like that. And it's like, well, you know, young fella, you got to kind of go get it. You know, it's not right. it's not going to necessarily swing its way towards you. So, I mean, that's what I saw. Again, maybe. I, I wanted to go in there with as positive an outlook as possible, and I wanted to leave with that same kind of positive outlook, and it was a little soured by that. Overall, though, again, you know, you can't deny his ability or his production and his, you know, his incredible ability to get to the free throw line. That's a, a big plus in today's league. So, um, I'm very excited for it. He has the ability to be a glue guy. I think he he does a good job getting. You know, making plays for his teammates. I think he's going to fit in really well with the Heat and exactly what we wanted. Just a complimentary piece now that could be a centerpiece later on. So let's get to our last question here and we can wrap this thing up. Uh, CPO Tweet Stuff asks uh, Is it time to give up on Chalmers? I think, I think we've kind of addressed that through other issues. I think. I'd say no. I think his contract is still a pretty decent value for his ability overall. I think, you know, the fact that his role was so clearly undefined and up and down as the season went, they knew they weren't going to start him. And then Wade got hurt. He kind of had to start. And then is he going to be the sixth man? Is he going to be the backup shooting guard? Is he going to be a point guard? Like he, he was in flux all season long. So I, I think eventually that took its toll. And with a guy like Chalmers, maybe he he's not necessarily going to be engaged 100%. So you kind of have to worry about him being locked and ready to go on a, on a night-to-night basis. But I think you and I are still pretty confident that he can play at a high level mm-hmm. and he still can give some quality production off the bench. So I say it's not time for him to move on. I agree. I think if he has a more you know, thought-out role, a more defined position. Is he a shooting guard? Is he the point guard? Is he the starting shooting guard? Is he the starting point guard? That's what every, that's what we were going through last season. But if Winslow's coming off the bench as the backup shooting guard slash backup small forward, then Chalmers can really focus on just being a backup point guard to Goran Dragic, and I think that's okay. If he doesn't have to dictate the pace anymore, he does, and which he had an issue with last, you know, last year, just kind of taking over and trying to dictate what was going on offense, and we saw eventually Wade start just handling the ball all the time when he was on the floor. And that wasn't the case at the beginning of the year. That started happening more. And um, especially after, obviously, Chalmers lost his job at the beginning of the year to Norris Cole and then kind of lost his job to Napier a couple games. But um, as the backup point guard who can just kind of come in and maintain the status quo, I think Chalmers can do that. And he can score off the bench. He can shoot threes. He's probably the best three-point shooter on the roster right now. There's definitely value to that. So... I definitely think he's still got a spot on the roster. It's a big change of pace from from what Dragic is looking to do as far as the first team is concerned. What do you mean by that? Like, I think, you know, Dragic is going to push the pace quite a mm-hmm. bit. And once they bring in Chalmers with the second unit, like, it's going to be a completely different type of, of offense, wouldn't it be? I mean, I don't Well, I, don't I see wonder Chalmers if he can almost do that, right? Like, if he, if, if he knows that his job is to come in and keep that pace going... I think he can do that. He's used to playing at a fast pace. That's what they pay, you know, played during the LeBron era, era Heat teams. Like, I think he can move like that, and he can certainly play with that pace. I just don't know if he can necessarily come, like, start the game and initiate that pace. But if that's just what's going on in the game, we saw that he can adapt to that. He could be a part of that. And I think if he comes off the bench as a backup point guard, it's almost a similar thing. 
you know, that's not a bad idea, actually. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of that, you know, it's a good point because he did kind of act as the, the you know, perimeter spot-up shooter when LeBron had the ball in his hands. If you if you leave that role up to, say, Winslow on the second unit, who can kind of dish the way LeBron used to. Obviously, he's not going to collapse the pocket as easily as LeBron did, but let's say he draws a couple defenders towards him as he cuts to the rim, which he's very good at because he's not a very good – He's not a good shooter when he pulls up in transition or but or off the dribble, but he can create offense. He can be a playmaker, etc. If you see him cut into the lane and all of a sudden find an open Chalmers along the perimeter, as far as that second unit is concerned, you could see Chalmers put up a pretty high number of three pointers off the second unit. And that'd be a really good floor spacer. Yep. And then it complements, say, a guy like Stoudemire who's also a good low post scorer, etc. It could be a pretty potent offense in the second team. Something I hadn't considered until just now. Chalmers is a terrific open shooter, especially from the corners. Yes. And if they that's something that he really got away with or got away from last season. And that's that, because that, of so much, you know, fluctuation in the lineups and rotations in his position. Was that last year when you wrote that or the the year before when you did a like a great breakdown on Chalmers in the in the corner three? I think that was last at the beginning of last year. Okay. Yeah, and thank you. And yeah. um they they got away from it last year, and they because you know out of necessity they needed him to handle the ball. And if he can, if he can come in on that second unit as the quote unquote point guard, but you have guys like Justice Winslow on that can, like you said, handle the ball, and you know maybe he's paired up with a Tyler Johnson or or a Napier or something like that, where he can kind of play off the ball. There's certainly a role for him, and that's you know that's Eric Spolster's job to figure out and to, to see how to get him out there as a floor space but we're talking about guys that have that need to find roles Chalmers can just be the three-point shooter that is what he if you were to name one thing that Chalmers does best I think that would be three-point shooting right yeah I'd have to agree there so maybe you know the Heat might not find that three-point shooter that they wanted this offseason but they could find it by just kind of you know redistributing those minutes and kind of reinventing Chalmers in the way that they use him. So, um, that's all our Twitter questions. Anything else that you wanted to add about, I mean, we had a lot, we got through a lot today. Yeah. And I feel like there's still so much more to talk about, like potential free agents, like uh, Marcus Thornton and uh, yeah. Ben Gordon. Right. I mean, these guys have been linked to the heat somewhat. I mean, you know, clearly Stoudemire isn't a done deal, although you think if he's meeting with Riley, the chances are that he's pretty confident as far as, as being able to, to lure him to South Beach or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think there's always so much more to talk about, and, and, you know, especially with whatever else is going on in the NBA. But as far as the Heat is concerned, I guess it's just we'll see what happens as Summer League progresses. And, and we should I, I would expect to be a, a couple of changes by the time we do our next podcast in the next week or so. I agree. I think that this Heat roster is something to keep an eye on as far as Chalmers or Anderson um, go if they're able to get rid of those guys. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about is is the rumors that they are trying to trade those guys. So we'll see if that happens. Um, luckily, we can always do another podcast, so we'll be back um, to talk about it more. But overall, just your thoughts on this free agency. I feel like the Heat have really... Did they're, they've come out winners of this free agency, and this the roster the way it looks now looks really great. It's also very high over the luxury tax threshold, so this roster might look worse by the time we do our next podcast, or I guess maybe different. Yeah. But um, either way, this is going to be a really strong unit going forward next year. I'm really excited about it. So am I. I, I think there are, there's potential. I've seen some people say that maybe they're not necessarily high on Miami next season, but I think if they pull it together the way that, that you and I have seen in, in you know, sparse moments last year, I think uh, I think it could be a really great team moving forward. So again, I think there's still holes to be filled, but I'd expect the team to move forward. The front office in particular is going to try and do what they can to fill those. So I think, I think we can expect good things for this team next season. All right, well, let's wrap this thing up. Good work as always, David. Thanks for joining me. You got it. Check out the Heat Check podcast on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. And check out the website, heatcheckpodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.